Good evening for Slovenes and good afternoon for, for Americans. Uh, my name is Aleš Ernitzl. My guest tonight is uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones. He's been my guest for, for a couple of times, for many times now, and he's always been very informative and intellectually, intellectually uh, better than the most of the guests you get, you'd get on on Slovene or whatever national and commercial televisions. Dr. E. Michael Jones, thank you for accepting my invitation once again. You're welcome. Good to be here. I uh, I wrote to you that I I've been reading for a couple of days now, even even weeks. Uh, this profiles on Twitter like Visegrad and uh, some other profiles uh, that were supposed to be at least uh, in some terms, in some sense, a great European hope or, or, or whatever. And then I read uh, a, a Twitter, a tweet from our prime minister, Janes Janša, what was common to all of these profiles and to our Prime Minister Yanis Yansha was this anti-Russian rhetoric, uh, as if it was as if all of these profiles were from CIA or American government or, or whatever. And um, I immediately wrote to Dr. E. Michael Jones. I, I had it. The, this is something we we have to dis discuss. Uh, and that was the main reason I uh, I, I wrote to you. But we, we will uh, later on uh, talk a little bit uh, also about your your uh, debate with uh, with Vosh, if if you be so kind to tell us something about it. Sure, sure. So uh, this I assume is uh, propaganda to get Slovenia on board with the uh, upcoming war with Russia. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can I can read. I'll translate what our prime minister said. Uh, so Russian tanks are threatening Europe, and we in U EU talk about sanctions. Putin's prosecutors are mm, are um, he's trying to say that Putin's prosecutors are locking up. Uh, freedom fighters or whatever and general prosecutor in Slovenia uh, legitimizes all of this um, because uh, the general prosecutor from Slovenia left winger not a really good guy yet he went to Moscow for whatever reason and uh, our prime minister and this was our prime minister reaction uh, what would you say about this this narrative or this rhetoric that Russian tanks are threatening Europe? Yes. Well, I would I would say what I've said to my Iranian friends, uh, which is basically, why did you put your country in the middle of all these American military bases? That was really stupid. Uh, what uh, what is the somehow this is being portrayed as a threat to the West uh, when uh, it seems to me the threat uh, if we're talking about a real threat uh, do we have Russian tanks on the uh, Mexican border 
or do we have NATO tanks on the Russian border uh, in the Ukraine? It's obvious that this is part of the aggression against Russia that began with the fall of communism. When George H.W. Bush was president and he assured Gorbachev that uh, the United States would not move NATO one inch eastward. Well, that was a flat out lie. The intention all along has been to uh, encircle Russia, to pressure all of the Eastern European countries to join NATO, and then to ultimately the ultimate goal of breaking up uh, uh, Russia. I was in uh, I was in Prague uh, years ago. I met uh, a guy, a friend of mine, uh, Michal Samin, who was in the uh, what was it called, the Forum, the Civic Forum, or something like that. It was Václav Havel's group that was uh, trying to overthrow communism. So this was the early euphoric uh, stage of this. And uh, the uh, National Review, the conservative magazine, comes to him and he, they say to him, uh, you know, now you're free. What would you like to do? What do you need? And Michal said, well, you know, our libraries need help because all of the books were bought by communists during this period. And we need some type of books, you know, better books in the libraries. And the guy looks at him and says, yeah, that's great. What you really need to do is join NATO. So it was all a completely fo phony question. National Review put on a symposium. They invited Margaret Thatcher. And the whole point of the symposium is that Prague, uh, whatever it was, I forget whether it was Czechoslovakia still at that time or whether it had just broken off to the Czech Republic. Anyway, you folks need to join NATO. Margaret Thatcher comes and tells that. They have it in the castle in Prague. Well, this is this is disingenuous. This whole thing was a a, a a a a a dishonest operation from the beginning. They had when when uh, so that means you have to buy weapons. Okay, we'll lend you the money and you can buy jets. Those jets uh, can't take off in Czech airspace. It's too small. They have to get permission from whatever it is uh, on the other side, uh, wherever, whichever direction they take off, because the country is so small they can't even use the jets properly. So this was the type of dishonesty that was going on in that uh, euphoria period after the fall of communism. And then they marched all the way eastward, took over Estonia. I was in Estonia talking to my friends there uh, saying, you've got to be crazy to join NATO if you think that this is going to protect you against the Russians. It's not going to protect you. You'll end up like Poland in 1939, you know, where the British give some type of guarantee to the Poles. And then as soon as it becomes serious, they abandon them. And in the meantime, they, they basically had suckered all of these Poles into being re uh, really aggressive against the Germans. You know, because, hey, we have England behind us. It didn't work out that way. So it's been going this way, going this way in the same direction now. And now we're uh, uh, insisting we, the Americans, the groups, let's, let's make it more specific. Secretary of State Blinken is insisting that we are not going to have uh, NATO. NATO discussion is not on the table uh, we are going to demand that uh, th these people have the right to join NATO. Well, what do you mean the right? You already orchestrated a coup that drove out the government, and now you put a puppet government in, and now they are saying that they're going to join NATO? Because that's why you put them in in the first place. 
is all complete lying uh, dissimulation. But the latest stage is Blinken. Who is Blinken? Well, what, he's he's one of, of the of the ten Jews that uh, Biden chose for his cabinet, he, along with Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is the Attorney General. He's in charge of the Justice Department. He just uh, issued a statement saying that uh, any mother who goes to a school board meeting and complains about pedophile uh, propaganda in the books that are for her children can be declared a domestic terrorist. That's Mark Marlin, another Jew. Now, what, what you've got here is people who never uh, consider themselves Americans in, in, in the full sense of the word. It was always a country where they felt that the majority of the people were uh, beneath them or hateful or conspiring against them. These people feel that the American people are the their enemies. That's the way they feel. That's the way they felt in Poland. They, they weren't Polish citizens in any real sense of the term. They were aliens living on the eastern border who viewed the Poles with something like contempt or something. They were goyim to be exploited financially or sexually or whatever. These are the descendants of those people. We're talking about the descendants of the people who were left Russia after the czar was assassinated, okay? Claimed it was, was pogroms, uh, which Solzhenitsyn disputes in his book, 200 Years Together. They go over to the United States. In effect, they take over that country. And now they are representing not that country, but their own Jewish interests and their own Jewish animosities because of all the stories that got passed down from generations about how the, the czar treated our people. This is the guy who's now representing the United States. You don't want someone like this representing you. You don't want to do that. That's a mistake. And that's precisely why we're on the brink of war. Because you have these ideologues who have basically taken control of the American government and are running it in the interest of some other group. Usually it's Israel. In the Middle East, it's usually Israel. This same group of people got us involved in the war in Iraq. They got us involved in Afghanistan. And they're now trying to get us into a war with Iran purely for the interest of Israel. It has nothing to do with the American people. And that's the problem that we're facing right now. Um, I would like you to speculate a little bit about this, these people, these ruthless elites, if I may call them. So do you think that they do have a little bit more love towards Israel as a country than they have for all other countries they've been to and uh, exploited them in some sense of the word? Or do you think they're they're exploiting this Israel and their people too? Um, um, I mean, these are elites that are without any religion, without any faith, without any uh, deeper meta metaphysical beliefs. Uh, probably, I I don't know. Them, no, they have a deep. They have a deep better. They have an identity that is a negative identity. Yeah. That was the point of writing my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. That I started this book in 2003 because I'm standing helplessly 
at the side of the road as the neoconservatives are driving America into a war with Iraq. A completely bogus war made up uh, uh, based on lies about weapons of mass destruction. Everyone was being lied to. Uh, where is the uh, who is representing Americans in this discussion? There was no representation. It was the empire. The American people had nothing to say about this. It was a purely elite operation run by a Jewish revolutionary movement called neoconservatism, which had direct roots in Trotskyism through Irving Kristol. It had that type of, of, uh, of parentage. And I'm saying, I, I got to redefine this problem. So what is the identity that we're talking about? And I said the identity of the Jewish rejection of Logos because they killed Christ. This is the fundamental event in their history. Okay, Their Messiah came and they killed him. Okay. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I, just to mention I, this, I, I just watched the, the video of Sarah Silverman, the Jewish quasi comedian, uh, one of her sketches, and, and uh, she says in it, uh, "Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would kill Jesus again if." <laughs> right. <laughs> this right. is her humor. This is her humor. This is funny, Sarah. That's not funny. Okay, I don't know why you yeah. thought that was funny, but it's not funny. Jews are no longer funny. Okay, uh, and so, but the so the point here is, what am I saying? What? Why did she say that? Because she she still possesses that spirit. That spirit is her identity, and and she reaffirms the act of deicide that took place uh, at the cross at the uh, with, with the crucifixion. Because those people at the time says his blood be on us and our children. So it was an act of the Jewish people under the direction of their leadership at that point. Does that mean that every single Jew participated in this act? No, no, obviously not. The Blessed Mother did not cry out and crucify him. St. Peter ran away as afraid, but he didn't demand his crucifixion. So there were Jews who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and they became Christians, and they are our parents, our forebears in the faith, okay? But that doesn't change the fact that the Jewish people did crucify Christ and killed him, and that gave them their identity, because Jesus Christ is a Logos incarnate, and when you reject Logos, you become a revolutionary because the Logos is the order of the universe. The other aspect of this is after they became revolutionaries, they did rise up against Rome and Rome came back and crushed them and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. Okay, now the temple is important because that's the heart of the Jewish religion. In order to expiate their sins, the Jews have to offer animal sacrifice in the temple. Okay, now that temple has been destroyed. They have no priesthood. They have no sacrifice. They have no temple. Well, how do you expiate guilt? How do you expiate guilt? Well, now, wait a minute. You don't if you're a Jew. Well, wait a minute. No, you can't have a situation where you can, you have to, it's psychologically impossible First of all, not to incur guilt through sin, but then to keep that guilt bottled up in you. You can't do it. You can't do it. That's why they had the ritual expiation of guilt in the temple. Now you can't do that. So what do you do with your guilt now? What does the Jew do with his guilt? He projects it on you. 
that is what happens throughout all of human history. So basically, anytime you come in contact with a, a Jew like this, you're on the defensive because you did something wrong. So as I said, if you're Merrick Garland, the minute you start talking to him, you're uh, you're a domestic terrorist. What are this is crazy, but this is exactly the psychology that we have to deal with. We have to deal with this psychology because it's running the world right now. Okay, this also goes back to the to the Cheka. Okay, we're talking about Putin was smart enough to say that what happened in Russia in 1917 is now happening in the United States of America 100 years later. He's right. He's absolutely right because it's the same group that took over the Soviet Russia and now took over the United States. They're running the country. What Blinken is driving us to the brink of war right now because he has the same obsessive relationship that the Jews have to their own guilt. In other words, they can't Admit it. You can't admit you're always the victim. It means there's always some reason someone's trying to do something wrong to you. You always have to put that person on the defensive. Do you want this type of person negotiating for you in a matter? No. In a matter that, well, he is, by the way, because you, uh, as Slovenia, are a vassal state of the United States of America because you're a vassal state of Germany and that's what the European Union is and that's what NATO is. You are a vassal state and so Blinken is negotiating for you and you're a lot closer to this than I am. You are a lot more likely to suffer if there's a war than I am because this man is representing you. You didn't elect this guy. I didn't elect this guy. I do not want someone like this Rep- claiming to be representing my interests and dragging my country once more, one more time into a war that has no benefit for the United States of America. There's a, there's a funny thing in Slovenia, for example, but not only in Slovenia, probably in Croatia and Czech, Czechia, Slovakia, and so forth. In every Middle European ex-communist country there's this thing that the whole right-wing intellectual landscape has been usurped by by neocon neoliberal and libertarian intelligentsia right Uh, um, up till a couple of years ago when when Okay, I haven't been the first one. There have been some other Slovenes that started this before me, but we we probably haven't had any other uh, intellectual idea outside of this landscape I've I've described in Slovenia up till some years ago, and right. the whole right wing is practically, um, as you said, the the vassal state of of. Republican Party or a part of Republican right, Party, right. but the left wing, the left wing is also some kind of a vassal state of a, a Democratic Party in 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 America. Which which party do you think is uh, is of less lesser evil? Because there, there's this funny thing that, for example, left wing 
in America and also in, in, in Europe, although, although we, we all define ourselves more as right-wingers and we kind of hate left-wingers, they do see what Israel is doing. They do see what America is doing to, to some countries. They do have this in, intellectual um, uh, ideas uh, present. They're not present on the right wing. Although they just don't seem to be able to call call the Jew out, if I no. Well, why do you why do you think you have why do you think you have Democrats and Republicans so that you don't have to say the word Jew? Why do you have liberals and why do you have conservatives? Because that sets up the dialectic that that, that allows a discussion that never gets to the heart of the matter. So if you want to go back, let's go back to uh, Poland. Uh, and solidarity, and the group that overthrew uh, uh, the the Soviet power in Poland in 1989, 90, whatever you want to uh, talk about. Who was instrumental here? Well, they got Michael Novak. Wait a minute, that sounds like a Slovakian name. Yeah, well, it's just that he's working for the American Enterprise Institute, which is a Jewish operation, uh, a Zionist Jewish operation funded by the Carlyle Group. Okay, vulture capitalist. And Michael Novak writes a book called The Spirit of Democratic Capitalism. And then it gets translated into Polish and then circulated Sami's dot, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, fax machines and stuff like that. And that captures the mind of the Polish intellectuals who at this point are only thinking we got to get the Russians out of here. This is the fundamental flaw of Poland. It's their kind of Russophobia. They, they just can't understand. They just can't. I look, if I lived there, I probably, and I had been through things like the Katyn Forest Massacre, I would have certain strong feelings about Russians as well. But it's not about feelings. It's about rationality. We're going to have to come to some type of rational understanding, and we're going to have to break out of this duopoly where everything has to be fit into this straitjacket of liberal or conservative, because they're both run by the same operation. They're both parts of the American empire. It's like the left wing and the right wing of the same bird. That's what we're talking about here. And so we have to become conscious, also conscious of the what I would have to say is the complicity of the Catholic Church in doing this. This yes. is a serious, serious matter, a serious matter. I'm dealing with it right now in the, the book that I'm trying to write, uh, in the articles I'm now writing in Culture Wars. And the crucial issue, man, here is Joseph, Joseph Ratzinger. Okay, and the the the, the rise, the, the life of Joseph Ratzinger, 20 years old, actually a, a teenager when the war ends, 20 years old when Morgenthau is starving the Germans to death. Does he internalize the commands of his oppressors? Does you have to, do you have to do that as a German? Well, this was the crisis. The crisis comes immediately uh, right after the war. As soon as they institute the Marshall Plan, you've got a, a huge uh, amounts of obscene material flooding into Germany. The big battle at this point in Germany is obscenity. And the man who is standing up to is the same man who stood up to the Americans is Cardinal Frings of Cologne, who told the Germans, you have a right to take food. If the, if the Morgenthau is trying to starve you to death, you have a right to break into a warehouse and take food and take coal from the coal train. So he stood up to the Jews at that point, stood up to the American social engineers, 
and they backed down. Marshall Plan. But now we have Plan B, and we're going to subvert the morals. And Frings stood up to that as well. He was a, a, a firm supporter of the Volkswagenbund, which was the German Legion of Decency that was fighting obscenity and had fought obscenity all the way back to, to the end of the 19th century. And now they're going hammer and tongs with the people. Sweden played a role in this. Ingmar Bergman's films were uh, The Silence was sent to Germany to break the production. Code. Who was the crucial figure here? Who was the crucial figure? What was the crucial moment? The crucial figure was Joseph Ratzinger. He met with Frings in 1959. Frings was so impressed with Ratzinger, he says, I'm taking you to the Second Vatican Council. When Ratzinger gets to the Second Vatican Council, they throw out Ottaviani's preliminary documents. We need something new. We're, we're tired of the, well, they were tired of being, the, they had this guilt on them. They felt this guilt from the past about because they internalized what the the, uh, the Holocaust story, they felt that they were responsible for this. They wanted to break away from it. And so they, let's not do this old, this is an old approach. This is an outdated approach. And Frings at this point backs away from the Volkswagenbund, backs away from the obscenity battle, goes to Rome and institutes like the whole new era of life in the church where we're going to be positive and progressive. And by the way, while you were focused on Rome, you lost the battle at home. You lost the obscenity battle because you, Frings, because you're distracted down here with Rome and Ratzinger's busy taking over the entire uh, Second Vatican Council. That was a catastrophe for the German people, a catastrophe. And because it was a catastrophe for them, it's a catastrophe for you. Because you have the same regime now imposed on you precisely because you're a Catholic, because Slovenia is a Catholic country. That's the problem that we have to face up, face up to now. Yeah, you're not allowed anymore to say that, that we're a Catholic country. We're now, we're now officially multi-religious, multicultural, multi-racial country. And if you say that Slovenes are, and we, we it's so messed up, but it's not a, a bit as messed up as it is probably in the United States. We, we, we get all, all the narratives our mainstream media discuss, we get from, from you basically yes and, not uh, from me if you want it from me from read you. culture wars read culture yeah. wars okay yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to promote that i admit that i have to promote the cultural wars a, a, a little bit more than i did to, till now it's it's important so so we need a, a return of identity now this i've been through this but with with our mutual friend jared taylor that's a whole misdirection that is more misdirection it's like conservatism like uh, like when uh um who's who's the croat that came on the show but uh i forget tom, tom Sunich. yeah tom Sunich. Sunich comes on and announces he's a white guy no you're not a white guy this is ridiculous this is another pseudo identity you were you're a croat Okay, you don't need another identity. You're a Croat, which means you're a Catholic who speaks a certain language and lives in a certain area. That is the identity that has to be brought back. And there are always going to be these people who are trying to subvert it, give you a, a false movement that will lead you into a, a, a dead end. 
like white nationalism or whatever, an, another dead end. No, this is, you've already got an identity. The point is, how do you allow, when is the church going to affirm your identity? That's the big crisis right now. When is the church, when is the, uh, the Pope going to stick up for Catholics? He sticks up for everyone else. When is he going to promote Catholic identity? When is he going to defend? We, the Pope is always talking about the Jews. He just gave an award to a nun in uh, the United States, Sister Janine Gramick, who spent the last 50 years undermining the church's teaching on homosexuality. He gave her an award. Why don't you reward someone who has been defending Catholicism? How about someone who defended the church's teaching on homosexuality instead of someone who made it her life's work to, to undermine it? When is when the Pope will speak out, uh, the church will speak out against anti-Semitism, whatever that means. When is the church going to speak out about Jewish persecution of Catholics? When is that going to happen? That has been happening in Europe, in Germany in particular, ever since the war. Ever since the war, we have had Jewish persecution of the Catholic Church in Germany, and no one's allowed to talk about it. That's the big, I think, right now, this is the biggest crisis that we are facing right now. The loss of Catholic identity, the loss of Catholic mission that came about because the church internalized the social engineering narrative that got imposed on it by the Americans after World War II. Marco De Beretz, I wanted to ask you, um, I'd like to ask Dr. E. Michael Jones about Eric Zemmour. I'm kind of perplexed, but at the same time inspired by him, although he's closer to a Sivnat, though, I guess. Do you have an opinion? I, I, am, I am perplexed about Eric Zemmour as well, okay? He's a Jew who's talking about Catholic identity. Now, I can understand how it's possible. I can also understand how it may be simply an attempt to steal that movement. You know what I mean? I, 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 do, I cannot give you a definitive st statement on, on this guy because I don't know myself. I, I, my, my French I asked my French contacts, and there is, uh, the people I've talked to are as perplexed as I am about this thing, of whether he's actually sincere. Can he be a sincere nationalist, French nationalist? I, I, I can't answer that question. I don't have enough information. Do, do you know any... Uh... Any any Jew that is a sincere patriot, at least at least American patriot or patriot where wherever. Uh, yes, around, I do. I do. I look. I I know a lot of Jews. Uh, I know Jews. Uh, if you if you read uh, the the upcoming issue uh, of Culture Wars magazine, there's a letter to the editor from uh, a Jew from Brooklyn who is praising us for what we're doing. He's one of our biggest supporters. He's a, a, a Hasidic Jew. He lives in a community in Brooklyn. I know other Jews who are absolutely at odds with the current foreign policy of the United States. Uh, Jews who are saying to me that this is going to have a bad end. Okay, at some point, people are going to wake up and start blaming the Jews, which they've done throughout history, and then it's not going to go well for them. Okay, I know Jews as well who have. Uh, taken to heart what I've said about Logos, and they've converted to Catholicism. So in some sense, they are not Jews, okay? But in some sense, they, they are in, in, in some sense because of the way they, where they came from. I know a whole spectrum of these people who are being basically pushed around by the big Jews that control their people through fear.
and manipulation, which is exactly what happened at the time of the crucifixion, where you have the leaders. Some people try to say, oh, it was the Jewish leaders. It wasn't the Jewish people. No, you can't have leaders without followers. And the whole point of this was you had these Jewish leaders whipping the crowd up into a frenzy and a mob psychology calling for the death of the Messiah. You know, and they lived to for 2000 years. They have lived with that decision to this day. So, yeah, there are lots of Jews who understand the magnitude of the situation, who immediately, as soon as they try and say something that doesn't go along with the Jewish party line, they're immediately uh, 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 dismissed as self-hating Jews. As, Except, uh, uh, Gilad Osman is a classic example of, of, of that type of thing. Except of the fact that we Christians take uh, Torah or the Old Testament um, seriously, and the fact that uh, the first Christians were were Jews or Hebrews. Some some people say that that Hebrews from that era are are have nothing to do with Jews nowadays. I, I'm not sure, and I won't speculate now about that. But except of these two facts, is there any um, sense in which it is okay to say or to use the term Judeo-Christianity. No, I, I, it's, a, it's an oxymoron. Yeah. It's a contradiction in terms. It came about after World War II at, at places like National Review who were trying to look for some type of uh, irenic uh, allies. We need allies in the fight against uh, the liberals, and so we'll create this term Judeo-Christianity. No, it's not. It's it, it, These are... If you're talking about the armature of history, it is basically the Jews, the descendants of the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah in constant battle with the Jews who killed Jesus Christ. That's the that's the gist of the book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. And I'm saying it's the gist of the book because that's the armature. That is the meaning of human history. That is the armature. That is the plot. That is the drama. That is the hidden grammar of human history. Okay. <clears throat> I have a, I have a friend. You mentioned the, the role of Catholic Church in, in all this mess. I have this friend, a really great guy. I love him. He's a Catholic. He's a Catholic. He's been a Catholic intellectual for a very long time. He's a history teacher in and in, in, in university. He teaches Latin and so forth and so forth. But he's he's one of the guys uh, that takes a lot of his intellectual credibility from what I. Uh, I described as a intellectual landscape of, of uh, the mainstream right in, in Slovenia. He's been caught up in this 89-year uh, Euro-Atlanticism, NATO, EU, America, good, Russia, bad, and so forth and so forth. And I just read his, uh, today I read his article about, about Putin, and I... Uh, <laughs> I was really, I was really disappointed. The, the article, um, the the article says about Slo about Putin. Is this the new Slobodan Milosevic? Uh, everybody's afraid of 
this is the name of the article. Uh, and it's practically symbolic of, of this kind of uh, America, uh, America feel, feel uh, uh, intelligentsia, isn't it? Uh, wouldn't you say? For, for example, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think for, first of all, I think if you're uh, any any professor at any university is an intellectual cripple because you have to follow the official narrative. Otherwise, you're not going to have a job at the university. The only way you can have any independence is by breaking away from the university. Okay. Now, the second question is, I don't know what what is the meaning of Slobodan Milosevic in Slovenia? Is he like a Serbian tyrant? Is he a bad guy? Yeah, yeah of course. Of course, uh, I, I grew up with this notion of Slobodan Milosevic uh, as being a Serbian tyrant, uh, although he was just a Serbian president who, who wanted to take uh, all the land where the Serbs lived where when Yugoslavia fell apart, which everybody basically wanted for, for, his, own, for his own nation. Yeah, Later on, yeah. Fra Franjo Tujman wrote a book on nationalism, which I thought was a good book, in which he, 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 the scales fell from my eyes when I read Franjo Tujman's book, because I realized that America was Yugoslavia. America was Yugoslavia. I thought there was just generic Americans. No, it's Protestants, Catholics, and Jews. They are the ethnic groups in America, and they correspond exactly to Serbs, Croats, and Muslims in, in Yugoslavia. Now, Tujman would on to say that the Serbs were the dominant figure in, in Yugoslavia, and they basically ran Yugoslavia for the benefit of the Serbs. Is that is that your understanding? Is that the Slovenian understanding? Uh, yeah, uh, a dissident right would take another approach, but the mainstream right would yeah would say something like that. For yeah, Serbs were were dominant and uh, we just wanted to be more sovereign and um, Americanism basically helped us get this. Right, right. Around. So that so you played into the hands of the Americans uh, with this, uh, like, Croatian nationalism. Medjugorje played a huge role in the rise of this Croatian nationalism, and it was being backed by the Americans. I, when I was, I was in Rome, I met with the ambassador, uh, Frank Shakespeare, uh, back in 88. I had just come back from a meeting with Bishop Zanich in uh, Mostar, trying to get the story on Medjugorje. I said to uh, uh, Frank Shakespeare, is Medjugorje a CIA operation? And he said to me, I can't say that. I can't tell you. But he said, but it, I can tell you that it's the type of operation we would support. Well, that's what it was. So you allowed nationalism to uh, bring about the breakup of Yugoslavia. And that led, and we forget uh, basically what a, in a sense, what a power Yugoslavia was in the 1950s under Tito, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, apologize for Tito, but the fact was when it was all these countries together, it had a significant effect on what was then called the third world and the movement uh, uh, of the third world. So without, even without Tito, all of those places together were more powerful than let's say Bosnia, uh, which has, why is Bosnia a country? 
It was never a country. It was always yeah. a problem. It's a country because NATO said so. That, that's it. And because we want the people in the South, in the Balkans, the South Slavs, we want them divided and weak so that they can't pose opposition to the empire. It's divide and emperor. I think that's the main explanation for the breakup of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia is a, is a really funny, funny example because it was probably um, by itself when it was constructed uh, artificially, socially, socially constructed. I do believe that, for example, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the, the majority of the dissident right in Slovenia would, would take this approach as to say that the natural the natural empire of of slovenes and slovaks and czechs and uh, croats for example was austro-hungarian empire and ethnic nationalism uh, as in um, from the spring of nations from 1848 i, I believe right. was 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 the tools to to ruin the austro-hungarian empire I, it, that's clear that's clear that the, the purpose of world war one was to destroy the austro-hungarian empire yeah. and you had Mazarek and all these freemasons basically there in cutting up the carcass for their benefit well at that point you lost the lingua franca of eastern europe which was catholicism that was the unifying yeah. factor in the austro-hungarian empire and it was a much more successful empire than anything that succeeded it Let's be honest here. I think one of the tragedies, of course, is that uh, Russia basically conquered Germany. Uh, at that time, B Bavaria uh, would have been a much more logical choice for the unification of Germany. But uh, you know, Ludwig II was a, a homosexual who was infatuated with Wagner, and they gave him money to buy castles, and they bought the guy off. So it, it was the, the Prussians who who, uh, who took over, and that, it, that had consequences. Basically, what you had during the 20th century is the sidelining of all Catholic political power. And the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the breakup of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, is the, the clearest example of that. Yeah, this is a good comment from Marco. This is why, why for example, mainstream right and dissident right would agree in some sense uh, that that you uh, the, the, um, that that Yugoslavia fell apart was a good thing. The biggest problem with Slovenia and Yugoslavia is that culturally and as far as I know, also genetically, we belong more to Central Europe and Austria-Hungary than the the Yugoslavia. This is this is true for Slovenes and this is true for at least also Northern Croats, for, for, for example. You cannot you cannot have an empire without uh, uh, what uh, what should I call a philosophy or an ideology. And so after you destroyed uh, Catholicism, you had this anti-Catholic communist uh, entity imposed on this these Catholic peoples. Other obviously the Serbs are not Catholic, but I mean you had this. And then so what's the first thing they do? They go after people like Stepinats. To basically yeah. destroy the Catholic Church, and you know, this was what do you think is going to happen if you do this? What do you think is going to happen? The fruit, the bitter fruit of this uh, Tito attacking Stepinots is the breakup of Yugoslavia 
because it led naturally, because you simply did not have this philosophical framework, this cultural framework, or this religious framework that allowed for cooperation. Now you have Marxist class conflict as the overriding philosophy. Well, where is that going to get you? That's going to lead to nationalism. That's exactly what led to the rise of Franjo Tujman and all of the uh, Franciscans in Medjugorje who were flaming supporters of the Ustasha. The, the, this is this was probably the main problem of, of Yugoslavia. Why you couldn't unify uh, all this uh, ethnicities in, into one under one ideology or religion? Because Orthodox Church and, and Catholic Church both were too strong in, in in Yugoslavia. This was probably the reason why you just couldn't you just couldn't unify all these ethnicities, which was easier in, in, in Austro-Hungarian Empire because all of the nations were were Catholic. Um, I don't know. This is. Oh, do this you is think? I mean, let's. I'm, I'm asking you. Was it a uh, was it a pipe dream to think that Serbia and Croatia could be in the same country to begin with? Are the differences simply too big to do that, or uh, what? What do you? What are your? What are your thoughts on that? Was that doomed to failure I, from I, the beginning? I think yes. I think yes. I think yes. Um, although I met, I met this Jew in Maribor, an old Jew that came from Croatia, and he said he told me that he was he was uh, a one of the first Croatian nationalists, even uh, in the times of uh, Ustasha, as in he was not Ustasha, but he was uh, a Croat nationalist, as these two things were some somewhat different. And then he went and told me about uh, Franjo Tujman, that he was a uh, some sort of a faker, a traitor of, of the movement of Croatian nationalism. But I... Uh, I haven't been able yet to to discuss with him all all the topics uh, so that I can I can figure it out if he's just uh, Jew uh, Jew gaslighting or 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 uh, if it's something uh, true about what what he told me. Uh, yeah, um, Marcus commenting something. Uh, Serbian royalty had the stupid idea of a Yugoslav nation despite thousands of years of conflict due to the vast differences in religion, nationality, and culture. Yes, the differences were insurmountable. Yeah, for example, you, you'd have this, you, 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 you nostalgics could say, uh, for example, yes, but we are the same nation, basically, we are the, the same, and so forth and so forth. But with all of them, it's it's the same. None of them have any religion at all. These are basically secular people, atheists. Uh, and for atheists and secular people, it's easier to say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's get back. Let's get down to specifics. Was it a Serb who killed Archduke Ferdinand, or was it a Jewish revolutionary that killed Archduke Ferdinand? Probably Which was it? They're always they're always hiding behind some type of nationality. It's just like Blinken. Is he an American or is he a, a Jew? Is he representing American interests or is he representing Jewish interests? I think that it's like the civil war in America. I think if you had left these people alone, they probably could have worked out their differences over time. 
I've seen it, you know, but there's always some revolutionary who's got to come in and make a bad situation worse. They were called abolitionists in America. They were the descendants of the Puritans. They were revolutionaries because of the Puritanism that they inherited. But there's always a revolutionary who's going to come in and make the damn situation worse. What do you think about the Second World War? Before the Second World War, Yugoslavia, the, the, the kingdom of Yugoslavia, had this, this uh, pact with, with Germany. And then there was this protest in Serbia uh, with, the, with the title of um, uh, it's better to go to war than, uh, than to make peace and so forth. And later on, uh, Germany attacked Yugoslavia because this, this was uh, considered as some sort of a, uh, anti-pact uh, uh, event or action uh, from the behalf of uh, Yugoslavia. Would you say, would you speculate that this was also some sort of Anglo-Jewish uh, uh, thing to, 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 to ruin this pact and to hide behind well, I, the, I mean, the we know, we, we, we know basically the fu the fundamental foundation, the foundation of Ang English foreign policy was to divide the Eurasian landmass. Okay, so that means anytime anybody reaches a certain level of power, the or the the English are going to connive in some way or other to lure them into the war. So that's what happened with World War One. They lured the Kaiser, uh, who really was out of his depth in terms of understanding that the forces arrayed against him they lured him into a war okay uh, but the question is uh I, I don't think i don't think any of these conflicts was inevitable i think that there were always agents coming in and agitating and one of the main agents was was the jews the jews are the ones that got uh us america into world war one they basically, England was ready to make a, a peace with uh, with uh, Germany, and the Jews come uh, to the government and say, look, uh, you can win this war. We'll get the Americans to come in on your side, which they did. They blackmailed um, Woodrow Wilson, who was having an affair with uh, some, some uh, faculty member's wife. Okay, blackmailed him, got him to go, go against everything he said, promised not to get into the war, got him into the war, and then the English paid their uh, dues by issuing the Balfour Declaration. This is the beginning of the, the tragedy of the 20th century. And World War II was simply a continuation of this. So that when the English, the English instead of making a peace, uh, they conquered Germany. They starved them to death. Winston Churchill starved them to death uh, after they signed an armistice, creating enormous ill will. And then they punished them with this Treaty of Versailles and the German people simply would not take it. OK, and while they're down, the Germans are down. Uh, the, the Jews come in from the Soviet Union and take over Bavaria. It's the Soviet Republic of Bavaria. Uh, they take over Berlin with Rosa Luxemburg and that crowd. And and uh, Pius, uh, who, Eugenio Pacelli, who was the nuncio to Germany, goes to the Wittelsbach Palace and he says, right, reports back to Rome, it's no Germans here, they're all Russian Jews. Well, the, the Bavarians knew that. That's why Hitler was able to get a start in Bavaria within a few years, because they still had that memory of this group of people taking advantage of them when they were down. And nothing changed. It only got that situation only got worse with World War II. So you can't, it's nothing's inevitable. 
Okay, and you always have to factor in this possibility of human evil uh, taking divisions and making them toxic and turning them into wars. Well, this is, there's a question for me. Alesh doesn't like Serbia. No, it's it's not that. It's only that I I think that we Slovenes belong more with Czechs, Poles, Slovaks, Austrians, and maybe Northern Croats in the same kingdom. Uh, not uh, more than than in the kingdom in the kingdom being led by by Serbs. That's the only thing I I have. I'm indifferent towards Serbs. I do think that they uh, that Kosovo is Serbian. I do think that I think that NATO um, did something horrible by bombing Belgrade. Right. Uh, but I'm indifferent towards Serbs. The only thing is I have against Serbs or some groups of Serbs is I, I would like for us to be more with Slovaks, Czechs, and so forth than with the Serbs and Bosnians and Macedonians. That's the only thing. And the second thing is Serbian immigrants um, combined with the left wing from Slovenia are our fifth column. I have something about fifth column. And not because of their there are Serbs, but because there's fifth column and the Albanians in Slovenia uh, that are basically uh, voters of the mainstream right. This is the thing in Slovenia. You have this the majority of Bosnian Serbs that come as immigrants to Slovenia are are voting for the left wing and the majority of Albani Kosovo Albanians that come to work to Slovenia. Uh, vote for mainstream right, uh, and uh, th th this is ridiculous in some sense. Uh, we Slovenes are torn apart, uh, or, or or held between these two two ethnicities uh, <laughs> that are basically uh, our our party is basically fighting for for Serbs and for Albanians uh, uh, and their votes. It's it's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. Yeah, you're you're vulnerable because you're a small group of people, you know, and 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 small groups of people can be, be easily overwhelmed by migration. And that I think is the plan right now for for Europe to basically overwhelm all of these ethnic identities that had been preserved. The the uh grace perfects nature, it doesn't destroy it. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas said. And so something like the Austro-Hungarian Empire will preserve ethnicity while at the same time allowing it to interact with more power than it would have if it were simply all by itself. That's the type of unity in diversity that you need. That that's 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 the key. If you can do that, there was in a sense in which that was the the beginning of the United States of America. It wasn't just one country. The people in Massachusetts are different than the people of Virginia. And we have to preserve that difference. So that's the type of thing you want to do. Now, I, I just saw that on the screen here with uh, uh, Djokovic. Novak. Novak yeah. Djokovic. Yeah, that's that's geopolitics. That's absolutely geopolitics. My friend, uh, my Serbian friend Alexander was talking to me about that. What What is this about here? It's about uh, geopolitics between Australia and Serbia. Wait a minute. What's the geopolitics? Where is the border of Australia and Serbia? Well, it turns out that Rio Tinto is 
an Australian mining company, and they had, were ready to pollute huge sections of Serbia for their lithium mine. This created a huge ups, uh, uprising in Serbia. Uh, basically, the entire country united against this, uh, allowing uh, Rio Tinto in. Okay. And at that point, the government felt the pressure. And for once, the government sided with the Serbian people and they canceled the contract with uh, uh, Rio Tinto, uh, offending the Australians. So now Djokic, uh, Novak decides he's going to play in the Australian Open and the Australians are going to punish him. That's what this is about. That's why you're having big protests here, because he has, first of all, he has, according to Alexander, he's got political ambitions. He understands the geopolitics here, and I think he's campaigning for political office uh, by standing up. So it goes to Australia and kind of standing up for the unvaccinated. He's become the symbol of the unvaccinated, which is basically the uh, uh, the great battle that's going on today. Uh, the unvaccinated are the uprising against the oligarchs right now. Australia has been corrupted. It's, Australia is the absolute worst place in the world to be if you don't want to get vaccinated. It's a complete police state. Who knew that it was coming? Uh, they're, they're determined to go back to the penal colony that they were uh, created to be. You know, where half the people are going to be prison guards imprisoning half the other people. Okay, that's what happened to Australia. Australia canceled that contract for the French submarines because now they're getting on board with the United States empire to war against China. I think that's what's happening. They were involved in that uh, coup d'etat in the Solomon Islands. They took over the Solomon Islands. That was purely Zionism. Okay. There was uh, the Zionist uh, contingent in the Solomon Islands uh, overthrew the government because the government had recognized mainland China as opposed to uh, as opposed to Taiwan. So that's the big picture of what's going on. And uh, Novak Djokovic comes into the middle of it and I think tries to play the political card here. I think he's using tennis to play some type of political card here for the constituency back in, in Serbia, but also in a, in a global sense of representing the unvaccinated. Yeah, and also Australians have upcoming election. This is also an important information. Probably this minister or whatever, whoever he is that, that, um, <clears throat> that canceled his visa and wants to deport him, uh, probably uh, wants to show uh, consistency of, of the government because they, they already they already did all this um, bullshit to their own citizens and they don't want to show uh, some uh, that, that they would uh, they would give uh, give more rights to a foreigner just because he's famous right. and, and has money. I, th I, think, also... I, th I think that what the Australian government is saying by persecuting Djokovic is that we are loyal servants of the American empire. You can depend on us. We will do your bidding here in Australia. You can trust us. Uh, and by the way, we're going to buy $3 billion worth of American tanks, too, to prove this. Because they are at war with the Australian people. That's the one thing that all of these vassal states have in common. When you become a vassal state of the empire, you have to declare war on your own people. That's the whole point.
I, uh, I ha had a show yesterday in Slovene language because I saw this article in one of the uh, Slovene media where um, there was a uh, Howard Stern supposedly called Novak Djokovic a uh, fucking idiot or something like that. And did, uh, I think the, the Slovene media uh, called Howard Stern Great Howard Stern. This ah, great, how, great, great Howard, Howard Stern. Stern. Wait a minute. Great Howard. If you want, if you want the classic example of the commissar, whose job is to impose the rule of the oligarchs and the party on the people, look to Howard Stern. And if you want to understand the role that sexual liberation plays, look to Howard Stern. This this foul-mouthed Jew who subverts the morals of the people he talks to, it turns out he's a loyal supporter of vaccination mandates. Finally, the curtain has fallen. Now you understand the role that these uh, sexual liberationists play. Uh, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't get to talk about Vosh at all, but that's precisely the role that, that Vosh plays. He's got a bunch of creepy, uh, I, he's, he's a creepy guy, but I mean, he's got followers and his job is to make them feel good about masturbation, about the guilt that accrues from masturbation. That's it. That's the whole story right there. You can make $2,000 a month on Google if you do that for the oligarchs. That's what's going on here. In what were, what were, did he have some good arguments, uh, Vosh, when you, you debated? Uh, what was the main topic of your debate? Because I haven't is, watched it Is yet. Po pornography a positive for society? And oh. I said, no, it's a negative. <laughs> and he naturally said it was a positive. What were, what were his arguments? I... Uh, look, I, don't ask me. I couldn't, okay. I couldn't, I couldn't discern any arguments. Uh, all <laughs> I could, all I could discern was every time I'd say some word, he'd say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean? Constantly disrailing me, derailing me because he didn't have an argument. So when you don't have an argument, all you can do is try to destroy the argument sure. of your opponent. That was the whole point. Your argument is uh, basically you're a guilt-ridden 27-year-old who spends his time uh, wanking off in the basement. And that's supposed to make you feel good about yourself. And then if you have enough people who are in exactly the same situation, maybe you'll all feel good because misery loves company. My point was that an entire generation of Americans has been crippled by precisely the behavior that you're advocating. Precisely that behavior. What do I mean by crippled? They are not forming families. They are not yeah. growing up. They are not getting married because this, this pornography masturbation regime has made you a very unattractive person and incapable of relating to the opposite sex. This is a tragedy, and he's trying to defend it. That's the sure indication that you're dealing with a commissar when he's dealing with pe defending the very behavior that is crippling the people he claims to represent. <clears throat> Do either of you know about Zvonk and Bruno Busic, two Croatian nationalists who fought the Judeo-American alliance? No, I don't. Do you? Never, heard of, never, never heard of them, no. No. Me too. 
Thank you, whoever you are. I love you too. We've we've re, we've been doing this for an hour. At this yeah. point, I start I start hyperventilating and hallucinating, and I say things that will be indefensible. So I think we better call it a day. We call it a day. Uh, thanks, Dr. Jones, for coming. Thanks for being so informative once again. Uh, thank you for for thanks to all the commentators and viewers. Uh, I wish you all a good day and uh, good night to all of those uh, in Slovenia. Bye. Thank you once again, Dr. Jones. Thank My you. pleasure. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Alish. Always a pleasure to me too. Bye.